Sire, the poets are ready for this morning's recitation. Excellent. Poetry reading? Yes, ever since his boxing career ended, he's become more and more into poetry. From boxer to poet? And he plays the harp. It's therapeutic. Thank you for all being here. This is something I've been working on for a few months now. Tell me what you think. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane, I am a tree. Bending beneath his wind and mercy. His grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Heaven meets earth, like a sloppy wet kiss. This is garbage! Sire, don't give up. You can do it. You're a good writer. Shakespeare will be proud. Give us something else. All right. I wrote this last night. I can only imagine what my eyes will see. I can only imagine, only imagine. Will I dance for you? Forget it, this will never be a hit. Sire, it's not all that bad. Look, she liked it, she's crying. Okay, I'll try one more. Started writing this one this morning. Good show, Sire. One more time. Friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them, and a friend will not say never. What's that doing here? You must be like a stray or something. This has to mean something. How do I follow that? I need to fill in a few seconds while I make my way to the platform. So since it came up, Bathsheba. Bathsheba. And indeed, I was just asked this question. So let me give the answer. Was Bathsheba a victim or a seductress? Here's the answer. Are you listening? Bathsheba was raped. When it says that she was bathing, you have to know the culture. She was undergoing what our Jewish friends call a mikvah purification bath. You don't immerse yourself in a mikvah while you are seducing the king. He was looking at what he shouldn't have seen and took what he shouldn't have taken. She was raped. But do you know that she's in Jesus' genealogy? And out of that horrible, unspeakable sex crime, Jesus was born. He always brings beauty out of our ashes. That has nothing to do with our talk this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4. But since Bathsheba was on your mind, I seized upon a teachable moment. And so, to my precious female friends, and I know this is true of some guys as well, but we're talking statistically 
Some of you have been, some of you will be the victims of sexual assault. You have a friend in Bathsheba. She sees you. She hears you. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, I want to read to you verse 1 in honor of God's word. If you would stand with me, please. Reading from the New International Version, and this is what we read. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Welcome to the desert, ladies and gentlemen. Let's pray, and we have a lot to talk about. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together this morning. These students are so precious to me and infinitely more precious to you, and I am so grateful for the privilege of being able to speak to them and with them this morning. We ask your blessing upon our time together now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Many, many, many of your questions on those index cards will be answered this morning. But I want to begin with an applause, and then I want to follow it up with an apology, all right? My applause of you. Okay? No, you're not supposed to clap. You're being clapped for. My applause, but that's all right. My applause of you. You can applaud for each other. That would be perfectly acceptable. And my applause is for this reason, and it goes along with my apology. I see you, okay? And I hear you. I really do. And as I saw you last night when I first took the platform, and as I heard you, remember, you're talking to me like I'm talking to you. It's called body language, facial expression, etc. I am ignoring a Kershaw jersey that is sending my ADHD through the ceiling. <laughs> but there it is. No, it's all right. Yay, Dodgers. Go Dodgers. What are they now? What are they now? 25 games in first place? Something like that. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, so in reading your body language, my ADHD is, you know what you looked like to me last night? You looked mentally and emotionally exhausted. You looked to me like you were on information overload. And I come stumbling up here onto the platform, and I'm going to talk to you about olives and cracking them and crushing them and all of it. I'm thinking they can't take it. They have heard so much already. This is the last thing they need. So my apology was, forgive me for contributing to your information overload. So we understand one another, okay? I talk for 35 minutes because they told me to. So I have to fill it. So there's going to be all kinds of information. I really don't care if you remember all of it or none of it. What I care about is that you get the takeaway from each of our times together, and I'm confident that you can do, including this morning. So I want you to think back to when we first met just a few hours ago on Sunday night. We met a dear, precious, but broken woman prostitute. And the takeaway Sunday night that I know you will remember for the rest of your lives, the Bible is real people who lived in real places, who had real experiences, all of which point to a real God. As long as you got that, you got all of Sunday night. That's all I care about. 
Monday morning, you heard my story. And in telling my story, what you took away from that was Jesus is gentle. You will never forget that. Jesus is gentle. Gentle enough to save a guy who was of no value to his dad, had no worth. Well, I'm not going to retell you my story. Anyway, Jesus is gentle. From there, we came to Monday night, and we met a delightful guy, used to be named, named by his mom, Levi. His name is now Matthew. And what you learn from that, if you remember nothing else about Levi or Matthew or Nazis or whatever, Romans, whatever we talked about, what you will remember is this. No one, no one, including you, no one is ever too far gone. Yesterday, I took you to the delightful little town called Bethany, the place, the house, where God turns our sorrows into, into sweetness. And we met two delightful ladies, Mary and Martha, who had just lost their brother, Lazarus. You may not remember any of that story after this week is over. That's fine with me. What you will remember is this. In their darkest hour, Mary and Martha, in their darkest hour, on the worst day of their lives, Jesus was there. And he will be with you always until the end of the age. You will never forget that. Jesus is with you always. Last night, I don't care if you remember the meaning of Aramaic, Gethsemane, Gath, Shemin. I don't care if you remember how they harvest olives. I don't care if you remember any of that stuff. Give me a break. I had to fill 35 minutes. But what you will remember is this. Jesus had to go to that garden because he had to put himself in that olive press so that you would know, so that you would know 2,000 years later, 7,000 miles away, 10 time zones removed, you would have a picture in your mind of the weight of your sins that crushed him, crushed him in that olive. And you'll never forget that. And now this morning, I got to fill 35 minutes. See, it's 9.54 and I got to go till 10.30. So I'm going to talk to you about a whole lot of stuff, but here's all I need you to remember. You ready? Here's the takeaway. Don't ever forget. This is it. In fact, after I say this, if you want to go to sleep, it's fine with me. I have no problem with that. I just want you to remember this, okay? Are you listening? This is the key to the Christian life. Does that sound like something that might be important for you to remember? Here's the key to the Christian life. Remember I told you on Sunday night that Jesus said in Matthew 11, I'm gentle, right? And, I, and he said... It might have been mysterious to you then. It'll be simple to you now. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that ring a bell? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me show you how easy it is and how light it is, all right? This is the Christian life in one sentence. Two phrases separated by a semicolon and ending with a period. Okay, here's the Christian life. Are you ready? Are you listening? Okay, 
I'll wait for that yawn to cease, and then know you're dialed in. Okay, good. You look like I feel. <sighs> it's just so refreshing. Go ahead and yawn. Go ahead. A big collective, because I want you to hear this. All right, here it is. This is the Christian life in one sentence. Are you ready? Whatever you're doing that's right, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing that's wrong, knock it off. That's it. You can take the entire Bible and reduce it to that. Whatever you're doing that's right, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing that's wrong, knock it off. You don't believe me. Well, then maybe you'll believe your memory verse. Your memory verse for Wednesday is 1 Timothy 6, 12. Do you know why I am reading it to you rather than quoting it to you? Because I haven't memorized it. Here it is. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Okay, two things there. Let me whack it in half. Fight the good fight of faith. We are in a battle. Huh? We are in a cosmic battle. That's what we'll talk about this morning. The last part is what some of you did last night and what others of you still need to do. I know you do because I have heard you and I've heard what you said. All right? When it says... Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now listen, when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's what you did when you stood up. I'm taking hold of eternal life in the presence of all these witnesses. Now some of you haven't done that yet, and I fully respect you. This is not to be entered into lightly. You really need to think about it and what the implications are for the rest of your life to follow Jesus. But here you have right now in this chapel and whenever we're together in this chapel throughout the rest of the week, you have my permission. If that's you, you know you need to make the decision to follow Jesus, but you haven't yet. I even know because I hear you one or more of you wanted to stand up last night, but for whatever reason, you didn't. You felt like you were nailed to the bench. And now that that moment passed, you kind of sort of regret it. And your counselor did a great job. You don't need to be in the chapel. You don't need to stand. You know, and that's all true. Some of you said, because I heard you, my moment just hadn't come yet. Well, if it comes while I'm speaking, in this chapel, at any point, you have my permission to interrupt me. You have my permission to stand up at any point while I'm talking. Just stand up. I will shut up. We'll all look at you, and you will say, I have decided to follow Jesus. We'll applaud, and then you can sit back down, and I'll keep going. Okay? So that you can take hold of your salvation in the presence of many witnesses. So... Anybody want to interrupt me now? 
and just stand up and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. This is my moment. You want to do that now before we get moving? Okay, let's talk about the fight, shall we? You've got this. This is not complicated. I'm going to give you a little pop quiz. May I do that? Okay? I'm going to say something, and you're going to say it is either right or it is wrong. Remember the takeaway from the morning? Whatever you're doing that's right, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing that's wrong, knock it off. Is it right or is it wrong to tell the truth? Right. Good. Good job. Is it right or wrong to lie? Wrong. Is it right or wrong to steal what is not yours? Wrong. Is it right or wrong for you to encourage someone? Right. Is it right or wrong for you to destroy someone with your words? Wrong. Is it right or wrong for you on occasion when you have a homework assignment that requires you to do so to Google something in the fulfillment of a school assignment? That's right, of course. I Google things all the time. All the time. You're making this way too complicated. You've got this. Is it right or wrong to Google pornography? Wrong. You know this. This is not complicated. Is it right or wrong to cheat at school? Wrong. Is it right or wrong to disrespect your teacher? Wrong. Is it right or wrong to show respect in a culture in which respect is never shown? That's right. Is it right or wrong to wear a Trump T-shirt? It all depends. <laughs> it all depends. <laughs> I just wanted you to know I see you. All right, this is not complicated, okay? This is not complicated. Why do we make it so stinking complicated? You know what is right. You know what is wrong. So the takeaway of the morning is whatever you're doing that's right, keep doing it, and whatever you're doing that's wrong, knock it off. That's the Christian life. And when Jesus talks about take my yoke, that's what he means. If you're going to follow me, then commit yourself to doing what you know is right and knocking off what you know is wrong. It is no more complicated than that, except for one thing. And that is, you and I battle an enemy every day who is unseen. You can't smell him. You can't touch him. You cannot see him. But he is ever lurking in the shadows of your life and mine, and his goal is to destroy you. And of course, I'm talking about that mysterious figure in the Bible named Satan and all of his demonic minions who are determined to destroy you. So let me give you a little bit of background about this guy, all right? I know him. If you like when I read my Bible and I come to passages like I read to you, to be tempted by the devil, it says of Jesus, that he emerges in my the cozy confines of my office, bedroom, wherever I am, and I see him up close and personal, and I know his story. 
but I do not like him. He is not a friend. Let me give it to you real simple, all right? This will sound fantastical to you, but if you think about it, it's very logical. There was a time we don't know when. All we know is it is before Genesis 1-1. It is before God created the heavens and the earth. There was a time prior to the creation of the heavens and the earth when God uttered a word, and the word he uttered was angels. Angels. And the heavens exploded with a myriad of holy angels. I know it was before creation because in Psalm 148, we read about this. And in Job, we learn that the angels even cheered when God created the heavens and the earth. So they had to be alive before he created the heavens and the earth that they cheered when he created it, right? Ding, ding, the Bible's pretty easy to understand. And so God created this myriad of angels. Now, let me ask you a personal question, may I? Okay, have any of you ever had an experience where you should have died but didn't? Have you ever had an experience like that? I'm not going to call on you, but can I just see your hands? How many of you? Oh, wow. Okay. You should have died but didn't. Me too. Too many to tell you. I remember when I was just a little kid, I don't know, three, four years old or something, and I wanted to impress my mom, and so I climbed up. We were on vacation, and we were at the pool, and there was nobody else at the pool, nobody else at the pool, and there was no lifeguard on duty, but I wanted to impress my mom, so I climbed up the ladder to the high dive, and then I jumped off of the high dive in order to impress my mom. Halfway down, it suddenly occurred to me, I don't know how to swim. Neither did my mom. So as I hit the water and began to drown, she freaked out. She absolutely freaked. You have no idea what I put my mom through as a kid. You have no idea. And I could spend, I'm just going to tell you this one story. So I was literally, I was literally drowning. I mean, I couldn't get up to the surface. I couldn't breathe any air. I, I could feel myself choking. It was like I started to pass out. Everything clouded over. My vision became tunnel vision. I was underwater. And then all of a sudden, it felt like this hand under me pushed me up to the surface and carried me to the edge of the pool. Whereupon I managed to climb out I laid on my back. I was coughing up water. I was, my mom was screaming, shrieking, freaking out. And I survived. How do you explain that? An angel. When I get to heaven, I will meet a waterlogged, soaking wet angel. And I will thank the angel for saving my life. Every one of you who lifted your hand, there is no human explanation for why you are alive. You should have died. In that instance, God dispatched an angel who swooped down and in that moment protected you. Now, I know that someday I may fall in a pool and I may drown. And the question may be asked, why didn't he send an angel then? because it was my time to go to heaven. 
I know that happens. But when I was three, it wasn't my time yet. So while you have probably never seen an angel or talked to an angel, heard an angel or smelled an angel, you have seen in your life firsthand undeniable evidence of the presence of angels. There is no other way to explain how you survived that. Isn't that amazing? Many of you put on your cards, how do I believe something I cannot see? You do that all the time. I'm always surprised when I get that question, but I get it so frequently. It's so hard to believe in a God you can't see. It's so hard to believe in an angel you can't see. All of this stuff we talk about, you can't see it, so how can you believe it? You do that all the time. You believe there's wind. You've never seen the wind. It's invisible. You see the effects of it. Leaves blow. You've seen the effect, but you've never seen the cause. But you believe in wind. If I said to you, do you believe in a guy named Picasso? You either have never heard that name before, or if you have, you believe that he once lived. Picasso. Have you ever believed there was a Picasso? Yeah. How do you know? You never met him. You never saw him. You never talked to him. You never touched him. How do you know there was a guy who once walked this planet, stick a thermometer in his mouth, and it registers 98.6? He probably had a resting heart rate of around 60 beats a minute. How do you know there was a Picasso? How do you know? How do you know? What have you seen? His paintings. His paintings. People say to me, how do you know there's a God? I've never seen him. Aren't you glad if you had seen him, like I said the other night, you, it would incinerate you. How can you and me stand in front? One day we'll be able to when we shed these mortal bodies of ours. You can't see God now, but look around at the painting. Oh, my gosh. You think just random molecules collided one day and out came all these trees? Do you really think that your hand has four fingers, all of which are different lengths until you bend them and they're all the same? I mean, where did that come from? Okay, so there are angels, more than you can count, and you have had a close encounter, many of you, with an angel. That's why you're still alive. One day, one of those angels, for reasons we do not know and I cannot explain, the angel decided he was tired of being an angel and he wanted to be God. His name when he was created was Lucifer, which is a beautiful name. If you know anyone named Lucille or Lucy, it is a form of that glorious name. It means shining one be dazzling in beauty. The most beautiful, some will say, angel whom God created. And some will say, I don't know this for sure, that he was second only to God in power and that he kind of like a vice president kind of ruled over the angels. What we do know from Ezekiel 28 is he is called the anointed cherub. Anointed means set apart. So he was set apart as something special in heaven. 
And some believe that he was really the choir leader of the angelic choir, like the worship leader up here, that he leads the, the, the angels in worship. We don't know. I don't know. That's all speculation. What I do know from Ezekiel 28, because it describes him, he was perfect, he was beautiful, he was glorious, and he was given a shining name. Until, and this is all the Bible says, it's very cryptic and it doesn't explain it, until unrighteousness was found in him. Uh Uh-oh, one day he sinned. Now we know what the sin is, courtesy of Isaiah chapter 14. He walked into the throne room of God, he clenched his angelic fist, he shook it in God's face, and he said five times, I will, not what do you will, God. Remember even Jesus last night in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. Do you remember that? Let this cup pass from me. I know, you were on information overload. Let this cup pass from me, not my will, but your will be done. Even God's son prayed, what's your will? Not Lucifer. I will. And the fifth of the five I wills clenched fist was this. I will become you. I will make myself like the Most High God. I will become you. And so his goal is singular and simple. Are you listening? His goal is to stop you from following Jesus and to start following him. That is what this verse means. Fight the good fight of faith. Whose will will you follow? Jesus or Satan? Every time you choose to do what is right, who are you following? Jesus. Every time you choose to do what is wrong, who are you following? Satan. It is that simple. There are, by my count, 28 names now in the Bible to describe Satan. His name is no longer Lucifer. There are times when in a person's life something so radical happens that their name is changed. Levi becomes Matthew, right? Lucifer became 28 names. Satan. The name means God's enemy. Satan, the devil. The name means diabolical. The devil in Greek, lay a little Greek on you, you're going to be fluent in three languages by the time we get done this week. Diabolical. His name in Greek, diabolos. We, diabolical, diabolos, we translate it the devil. The name really means one who curses God. 
which explains why in your neighborhood, in your school, maybe in your family, the curse word of the choice of many people has something to do with God or Jesus. I have never, I'm 67 years old, not once, not once. Here or in the Middle East or wherever I am, I have never once in 67 years heard anybody in an expression of unveiled rage say, Oh, Buddha. Never. Never. Oh, my Allah. It's OMG, not OMA. I have never, ever, ever heard anyone but God, Jesus, every day. That's not by coincidence. One of the names that he goes by, and this is the one that hits us most personal, he is called in the Bible the destroyer. The destroyer. Okay, let me talk to you about this, all right? If you think about it, 95% of the pain in your life, 95%, the 5% would include things like if you get cancer. You have no control over that. Some people get cancer. Although you could make choices that contribute to that, but nevertheless, let's not make it complicated. If your house falls down in an earthquake or burned down in some of the fires that ravaged this state in the past, you have no control over that. That's the 5%, okay? 95% of the pain in your life were caused by either you or someone close to you making a choice to do what is wrong. And you have seen the destructive results of that. Haven't you? It's all about choices. And many of you have been so deeply wounded your pain is so profound because someone near and dear to you made a poor choice. So the Christian life really does come down to one thing. Whatever you're doing that's right, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing that's wrong, knock it off. Whose will will you follow? The will of God, who, by the way, the Bible says is good, acceptable, and perfect. We're back to that word Hebrew. I taught it to you earlier. Tov. The will of God for you is tov. Good, peaceful, beautiful. 
the will of the devil for you? Destruction, death, ruin. Whatever you're doing that's right, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing that's wrong, knock it off. Let me further define that for just a minute, and then we'll be done. In the book of 1 John, at the end of the Bible, in chapter 2 and verse 16, we read these phrases. The phrases go like this. The lust of the flesh. Flesh means your body. Lust means a desire, a deep desire for something. So the Bible talks about the lust of your body. Then it talks about the lust of your eyes, what you see. And then it talks about the pride of life, what you believe in your mind. Now the devil took Jesus into the wilderness to tempt him. How many temptations were there? Do you remember? Three. Do you remember what they were? Jesus had not eaten for 40 days. He was starving. The devil came along and said, take a few of these rocks. Believe me, there are a lot of rocks in Israel in the Judean wilderness. Take a few of these rocks, turn them into bread and eat it. Why was that a temptation? It was a temptation. If you don't know the culture, you don't get the temptation. So what if Jesus turns a rock into bread and eats it? The guy was starving. No, you don't know the culture. When you break bread with someone, you devote your life to that person. Last night, I had you stand. And when you stood, you can still interrupt me at any time and say, I'm following Jesus. We'll clap and you sit down. When you stood, you were making that declaration. Every time you have communion now in your church and you break bread, you are pledging to Jesus, I am still following you. If Jesus had broken bread with the devil, he would have said by that cultural symbol, I have decided, Satan, to follow you. Can you imagine if the Son of God became a Satan follower? That was the temptation. Now, think about it. He was starving the lust of the what? Body, the flesh, the lust of the body. I see you. Do you see me? I hear you. Do you hear me? Be very, very careful about what you choose either to put into your body or what you choose to do with your body. Please. Please. If I was at home instead of up here this week, tomorrow, Thursday, I would have been conducting the funeral for a 22-year-old college graduate who graduated in May. This is July, two months ago graduated, to the pride and joy of his parents and our community. 
two days before I left to come up here, they found him on the floor, the victim of an accidental heroin overdose. No note, no indication that he was going to make that fatal choice to end his life. You just be very, very careful what you put into your body or what you do with it. Lust of the eyes. What do you look at? The devil took Jesus up to a high mountain. It's right outside into the west of Jericho. And from the top of that mountain, if you look around 360 degrees, you're looking out at the Mediterranean, which is the gateway to all of Europe. If you look to the north, you're looking into Lebanon and Syria. If you look to the east, you're looking into Iran, Iraq, the rest of the Middle East, and into Asia. If you look to the south, you are looking into Egypt and Africa. If you do a pirouette up there, like a ballerina, and do a 360-degree turn, you can see all the kingdoms of the world in one sweeping panorama. And that's what the devil showed Jesus and said, it's all yours if you'll simply worship me. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to wear a crown of thorns. and You don't have to put yourself in an olive press. Just bow down and worship me and I'll give it all to you. And Jesus said, no. That is the lust of the what? Eyes. It's very clear. Read it in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. The devil took him to a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world. What do you look at that you know you should not have? That's what got David in trouble. He made a choice. He looked at something that he knew was not his. She was the wife of another man. But because he saw what he shouldn't have seen, the lust of the flesh took over, and he raped her. What do you look at that you know you should not see? And the third one is pride, what you believe in your mind. So be very careful what you put into your body. Be very, very careful what you do with your body. That's number one. Number two, be very careful about what you put into your eyes, what you look at. And number three, be very careful. Ignore that. Be very careful. Isn't it amazing the distractions that come when a very important point is about to be made? Ignore that. Isn't it amazing? how the devil wants you to think about what you believe in your head. You know what pride says? Pride says, I can take the heroin and beat the odds. Pride says, I can do this with my body and it'll be okay. Pride says, I can look at this and handle it when in the depths of your soul you know you can't. What do you believe? The devil took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. It is the most prominent point in all of Jerusalem 
everyone in Jerusalem can see the pinnacle of the temple. And he took Jesus up there and he said, jump. Jump, because the angels will catch you. And then everybody will know you really are God when they see you flying around up there. Jump. But Jesus knew what he believed. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to jump. That's stupid. Imagine if the devil succeeded in getting Jesus to kill himself before going to the cross. Where would you be today? So it's all about choices. And here are the choices. Whatever you're doing that's right, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing that's wrong, knock it off. The rest of your life, you will hover between those two poles. Every minute of every day for the rest of your life, you will be choosing either to do what you know is right or what you know is wrong. That is the Bible in one sentence. All of this it's just painting pictures of it in every way it can. Whether it's David and Bathsheba, Jesus and Satan, or you and me. So, Father, I pray for every student here that it will be his or her purpose in life to choose to do what they know is right and to reject what they know is wrong. But Father, I know them and I know me well enough to know that there will still be times when I will choose to do what is wrong. When I do, I pray two things. One, you'll minimize the damage and two, you'll bring me to a place of confession and repentance so I don't do it again. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.